Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of the Plant Peace Podcast. Um, Today, we're going to be reading through and discussing um, industries that revolve around several different animals that humans are using for different purposes. Um, I hope that you have had a really, really wonderful week. I am personally very, very tired today, um, and I just had some coffee. I'm hoping it's going to kick in. I have recently been kind of addicted to the like silk oat milk creamer. It's like cookie flavored and I'm perfectly aware it's the sugar that I love, but I'm hoping the caffeine will also just like kick in as well. <laughs> um, alrighty, so today the animals we're going to be covering are rats and mice which are largely used um, for laboratories non-human primates who are also largely used for laboratories dogs who are used for a lot of different things um i think the common link of actually all the animals today is lab use Um, the dog section is quite large we're going to be discussing cats as well who surprise are also used in the lab and i think that's going to be where we end today Um, And next week, we're going to be talking more about, like, wild animals, like um, deer and, like, cougars and bears and talking about trophy hunting and the exotic animal trade. Um, So that's going to be next week's topic. But for this week, that's what we're going to touch on. And I actually wanted to first discuss something um, that was brought up by a listener and a friend. Um, And she was asking me to touch a little bit on the relation between violence against non-human animals and humans. And there's a lot of different correlations. Um, Two episodes from now, we're actually going to be discussing the logistics of that more in depth. But truthfully, um, just from like a very simple standpoint, you know, I feel like when we're raising children to inherently consume violence, So, for example, um, this is an example Earthling Ed uses a lot, um, who's a YouTuber that I highly recommend checking out. Um, He often says, if you raise a child from the time they are, you know, the littlest to as long as you have an influence on them to respect and love all beings, all humans, all animals, to give respect to pigs and cows and dogs and cats and rice, wait, not rice, (laughs) and mice and, um, you know, all the animals. If you're teaching someone to just be respectful and loving of all life, then why would they go out of their way to be violent to humans? Violence, I feel, is taught. It's something that is a cycle repeating, you know, someone's parents will beat them and then they turn around and beat their children or get into a bar fight or whatever it may be. It often comes from a hard, um, not an inability, but kind of um, a lack of experience in healthfully, hmm, in healthfully expressing our emotions. We live in a very complex world, you know, there is the full spectrum of life here. There is life, there is death, there is joy, there is suffering. There is so much you have the ability to experience within every moment. And just because you're having an experience, 
doesn't mean that other people are having that experience either. Everyone's having completely different experiences. And so we live in a very complex world and the depth of feeling is enormous, especially for the people who do allow themselves to feel very, very deeply. Um, and so what I'm kind of trying to get at here is that when we are like emotionally suppressant, when we suppress our own emotions and then they just come out in little like ragey bits, that rage, that anger, that hatred is going to be expressed towards our fellow humans and our fellow non-human animals too. And I deeply feel that the violence we are enacting towards animals is amplifying the violence towards humans tremendously. Um, in a literal sense, like in the slaughterhouses and in factory farms, but also on um, an energetic level as well. You know, when we have 99% of the animals in the U.S. being raised for food are being raised in factory farms, all of that suffering is then going into that being as they're killed and then whoever is consuming that is consuming that energy. You know, energy doesn't die. That's not even like a hippie woo-woo. Like this is this is a scientific observation. Energy does not die. It's simply transformed. Um, it simply moves on to another source. And so when we consume anything, we're consuming that energy. And so when you have a whole nation, a whole world largely consuming the energy of suffering and of just pain, um, what that does to us is tremendous. I mean, health-wise and mental health-wise, um, spiritually, physically, like all of it, um, what we consume affects us. And so I think that if we weren't consuming such a high concentration of violence, perhaps we would be able to have a much more peaceful world. You know, the energy of picking an apple and slitting a throat is very different. Essentially, how we treat others and what we're consuming has an enormous effect on how we interact in the world, how we treat ourselves, and how we treat our fellow humans. And so I truly believe that if we want a peaceful world, we need to start in the smallest the smallest parts of our lives. How can we consume peace? How can we emanate peace? How can we be at peace within ourselves? You know, how can you take the patterns that have been in your family and end the ones that are not serving you? We don't have to continue carrying on the trauma through generations and generations and generations. Like we can, we can, we're cycle enders. Like we can do it. We don't need to continue on these harmful cycles. We have the we have the ability to create a new world, to create a peaceful world, to tend to the earth and connect with each other and connect with ourselves, to be present, to experience, to love, to be kind and empathetic and compassionate towards each other and towards ourselves. I really, really want to see a world where peace is more prevalent. And that world is going to come through individuals just like you and me making small decisions in our lives that are going to end up having a big impact. You know, 
Um, what's the phrase? Rome wasn't built in a day. Neither was a peaceful world. It's going to be a collection of a thousand, a million baby steps from so many different people. Just small incremental decisions and choices we can make in our life to make our experience and our impact more loving, more peaceful, more vibrant, um, more joyful, you know. This life, I think, is supposed to be fun. I think we're allowed to have fun. Um, and our fun doesn't need to hurt others. Our fun can help others. We can have fun and do good. Um, so yeah, I I hope I touched on that enough. Um, as I said, we're going to be going more into the like literal impact um, of uh, of animal agriculture, like directly on humans, which is enormous um, for the people working there, for the people living near these places, um, for the general environment, for the collective consciousness. It's it's widespread. Um, you know, often often when animal rights issues are brought up, people are like, "Well, there's so many other things you care about. Why do you care about that?" And Truthfully, it is something that touches on like literally everything, like almost every avenue of like social injustice you can tie like animal agriculture to. And so that that is a big one. But also for me personally, humans, we have voices and we understand not totally. Obviously, we have different languages and, um, you know, there's there's a complexity to it. Um, but we have the ability to defend ourselves and to speak up for ourselves and to hopefully maybe be heard. Um, Animals, they also have voices. They also have wishes and desires, but they speak completely different languages from us. And they don't have social media, you know, like humans run social media for animals, but they don't have the ability to take a video and put it on the internet. And oh my gosh, a million people saw it overnight. And now I am heard. They need advocates because humans are the ones doing (laughs) the oppression. In this system, we are the oppressors, all of us. And we need to take accountability and action for what we as a species have done, what we as individuals have done, and what we can do moving forward to create the world we want to see. You know, almost everyone I know is just exhausted. It's just so tired of the world as it is. And like, I know I am too. It's it's exhausting to be aware of so much suffering and to not be able to do a lot about it. And so I think the little things are really the most empowering Um, there are opportunities where you can do bigger things, but, you know, ultimately we have, we do have a lot of power within our lives to affect change, but it's hard in the era of social media because, you know, you can be aware of something happening literally across the globe from you on like a national level. And it is kind of hard to be aware of that and not be able to do much. And that's where I honestly think the energy of like thoughts and prayers does come in and actually is impactful. I don't think that's the only thing we need to do, but 
Our thoughts are an energy form. Our thoughts have power. Our thoughts are often directly manifested. I have seen, I've seen this happen so many times in the past couple of days. My manifestations have been just oh, on point. But as a as a global, as a collective, if we are all collectively sending well wishes to a nation or to a group of people or to a situation or whatever it may be, I personally believe that that does have an impact. And so as much as direct action and activism is really important, so is your mind. And so is what you are thinking and feeling and projecting and visualizing, imagining your imagination is powerful. So be aware. Um, Do your best to maybe visualize like best circumstances or um, just happy thoughts. And it takes programming because we've been programmed for a lot of our lives to, or at least I have, to imagine like the worst case scenario. Like something will be going great. And my mind's like, have you considered the trillion things that could go wrong? And I'm like, what if? what if we just thought about the things that could go right, you know? Like, what if that happened? That would be so cool, right? Like, everything not going wrong. So what if, I propose, what if we as a global collective visualized, imagined, dreamed of the best case scenario of a planet that is just prospering and abundant and healthy and giving of clean water, of no more wars, of people just being able to like experience and love and have all their basic needs met and have food that wasn't poisoned and not be raising others for the purpose of being exploited and killed. What if we were compassionate and loving to others, to ourselves, to the whole freaking planet? I think this is possible. I think it's very far from what most of us have experienced and seen and are witnessing. Um, but I dearly hope that we are the generation, that we are the people that make this a reality, that make this change possible. I sure freaking hope that we do it. Um, I know that I'm going to try to. Okay, this was longer than my little intro talks usually are. But we are going to get into the main subject of today, um, which I actually have to flip back to. If you're new here, by chance, um, I think I already described this a little bit, but this is my book. This is Plant Peace. It's going to be what we were reading from today. Um, and I do through all my previous podcasts and the podcast to come, I'll be reading through the entirety of the book. But if you want to own a copy for yourself, then it's available online at Barnes and Nobles and Amazon and also like a ton of other small online book retailers. Or if you want a signed copy, you could just um, message and I can send you one or give you one if you live near the Fairfield, Iowa area. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Already, Rats and mice. Rats and mice are inquisitive social animals who have shown care for their friends and bond to humans when given the chance. They've even been known to care for sick members of their group. 
Going beyond that, both species have displayed altruism, putting themselves in harm's way to save another. They have a long-lasting memory, problem-solving skills, and can learn quickly. They are playful and even express a chirping sound similar to that of human laughter when being tickled. High-frequency sounds that humans cannot perceive are used as the primary form of communication between one another for these rodents. Our family used to care for a rat named Sarah, and we'd often let her run around in certain rooms with us. If she disappeared, we would simply call her name and she'd come running, often scurrying up our legs to perch on our shoulder and give us little kisses. Sarah completely changed my perception on her species at the time. Unfortunately, I feel like the word unfortunately is in every um, every section of this book, <laughs> which is so sad, but... Okay, anyways. Unfortunately, these beings are often seen as pests and disposable test subjects. They are often viewed as dirty animals, despite the fact that they clean themselves several times a day. People frequently lay out painful glue traps that cause an agonizing death for many who live in homes, while millions are bred for experimentation. According to the veterinarian Dr. Larry Carbone, who published an analysis in the journal Nature, An estimated 111 million rats and mice are used in laboratories in the United States alone every year. This figure is hard to pin down due to the fact that U.S. researchers aren't required to keep track of how many mice and rats they kill, which is insane. So it's possible that there are less or more than estimated. The quantity of mice and rats being used in laboratories is debated. However, the fact that these animals make up a vast majority of all lab animals is not. Even with conservative estimates, these animals make up roughly 93% of all laboratory animals in the states, though they are exempt from the only Animal Welfare Act designed to protect animals used in labs. They are typically caged in plastic containers the size of shoeboxes and used for literally any experiment you can think of and more. The scope of experiments performed on these animals are so extensive that novels could be written about them. Being excluded from the Animal Welfare Act means that laboratories that exclusively test on mice and rats are completely free of any federal inspection. There's an estimated 800 laboratories like this in the U.S. They they are allowed to do quite literally anything to these animals, and they do. Depending on the laboratory, they endure experiments such as having holes drilled into their skulls, undergoing spinal surgery, having hard drugs pumped into their system, being given tumors and other severe diseases. Some are being some are slowly poisoned to death and others are forced to do bizarre tasks that may end in their demise. The more I read about the experiments conducted on these beings, the more I'm able to envision what a living hell it is. Non-human primates. Primates are an empathetic, highly intelligent group that includes a diverse range of 200 species, us included. When kept in laboratories, zoos, or at home as pets, their needs are vastly unmet. While it is illegal to import non-human primates into the U.S., it still happens, though. It is perfectly legal for domestic breeders to sell these creatures to desiring humans. These breeders typically take the mother's baby away from her soon after birth, keep them in small cages, and enforce painful procedures upon them to make them appear less dangerous 
such as canine pulling. They are then sold primarily online or through newspaper ads. Many look to use them as replacement children if they are infertile or as a status symbol. The typical prices can range between $1,500 to $50,000. Practically every species can be bought, including those that are endangered. There are likely 15,000 non-human primates kept as pets in the U.S., but truly the number is unknown since many are obtained through illegal methods and go unreported. Non-human primates are incredibly social in nature with their kind, yet living captive in a house is devoid of any natural social interaction their biology is accustomed to. This leads to mental deterioration and anxieties. As they are wild animals, they often begin exhibiting these traits as they age, and many people decide soon after infancy that they are no longer able to care for these animals. Only a few make it safely to sanctuaries. Some are sold. Some are sold circuses or other humans who are likely to follow the irresponsible trend. Those who do not originate from breeders were likely captured from the wild. In places where these animals are indigenous, locals looking to make income will often slaughter entire families to capture baby primates. The deceased family members are then sold for their flesh. An estimated 10 adults are killed and sold for their flesh for every infant captured. The illegal bushmeat trade in Africa poses the most serious threat to the great ape population there. These species are slow to reproduce, so the globalization of this once small market has now pushed many of their species to the brink of extinction. In addition to hunting them for their flesh and children, deforestation for farming and products such as palm oil destroys the natural habitats of many of these animals. In laboratories, these animals are treated as disposable objects. In the U.S., about 108,000 primates are used in laboratories, and in the U.K., that number drops to 3,000. These beings are either captured from the wild or bred in captivity before being subjected to cruel, painful, and often deadly experiments. Their natural life of lush jungles is just a dream to those in lifeless steel cages. The conditions and torture they are subjected to is maddening. Like other animals confined in labs, they often exhibit behaviors such as rocking back and forth, self-harm, and endless pacing. Primates are forced to undergo some of the most cruel tests imaginable. They are tested to determine the safety of pharmaceutical drugs by having thick tubes shoved up their nostrils or down their throat so that the drug can be pumped into their stomachs. This is enraging in itself, but when you factor in the fact that the National Institute of Health states that non-human animal tests show a 95% failure rate at determining the safety and effectiveness of these drugs on human bodies, then the sanity of the humans running these experiments is truly questionable. In addition to general drug tests, vaccines are tested on primates after they've been injected with an infectious disease. You can probably imagine how terribly this goes for the animal. Experimental brain surgery, psychological torture, and military training techniques are all more examples of horrific practices forced upon these animals. 
In 2020, the scientific community began to face a monkey shortage due to COVID-19. While primates only represent about 0.5% of laboratory animals in the U.S., they're typically the final step until human trials begin. Virtually all primates that generate Virtually all primates that governmental bodies have their hands on are being subjected to vaccine trials that may end their life as we speak. While there are three vaccines for COVID-19 in circulation currently, more than 100 have been developed. This makes it an increasingly unsafe time to be a monkey used in biomedical research. Another aspect of the primate industry that is less widely known is those being used in coconut farming. Thailand coconut farms specifically are responsible for a third of the world's coconut exports and have been found to use monkeys for a bulk of this labor. Pigtailed macaws, I think that's how you say it, also be like macaquis, are taught to climb trees and pick coconuts for the company. When they're not working, they're often chained up or in cages so small that they cannot even turn around. It's likely that they were stolen from the wild for this purpose. A PETA investigation in 2019 found them screaming and pacing in their severe confinement. Many of them had their main form of self-defense, their canines, removed. Edwin Week, who serves as an animal welfare advisor for Thailand's parliament, estimated that around 3,000 monkeys are used for these purposes and half were taken from the wild illegally. Dogs. This is a picture um, for those of you listening. I also um, record all of these, or I I film all of these, and then I post it on YouTube. So what I'm showing right now is a picture of a dog that uh, she, I believe, I think she, yeah, she was one of three that me and some friends rescued in Stockton, California. It was a very stressful day. I don't know if I talk about it much, but anyways. Um, she's at home now and that's what's good. She was living in this like concrete, just the amount of poverty, um, in Stockton was really quite appalling. Um, I feel like I might talk about this in here, but I'm going to just do it. Um, when I went to the animal liberation conference, um, in maybe 2018 or something like that, um, we went to Stockton for a vigil because they have two massive slaughterhouses there. And it makes sense because slaughterhouses are specifically placed in areas of poverty, where people don't have really another option for work. So the good job is the slaughterhouse. Um, and that's not even a good job. So obviously you can see the the condition that a lot of these people are living in. Um, but yeah, in this town, which was very, the, um, the most impoverished place I've like ever been to. Um, it, it was just, it was truly sad. Like there were wild packs of dogs like running in the street and, I feel like a majority of the people there were houseless living on the streets, just poop, human poop on the sidewalk. Um, It makes sense because people are living outside with like little to no resources. Um, But this really just speaks to the industry knows that people don't want to be working in these places. And so they place them where there is not another option. And this does not help people get out of the cycle of poverty. This just kind of... psychological trauma of working in a slaughterhouse is then compounded on upon the people that are already not in the best economic situation um and that definitely does not help them climb out of it if anything it probably just beats them deeper into it um 
so in this area, uh, in this like concrete fenced in area, there were these three dogs that looked like they never left the little lot. Um, their water was just filthy and there were broken, there was just broken glass and like rotting food and they were just covered in fleas and ticks and, um, ended up finding their owners and convincing them to surrender them over to us. And, um, we got them a placement in a local shelter and they were all adopted out within the next couple weeks. So they are healthy and cared for, um, and hopefully happy now. Um, but yeah, so it was just a little, little backstory on that. Alrighty. Dogs are often viewed as beloved family members. They're bright, kind, loyal, and protective. Modern day dogs descended from wolves due to years of selective breeding and domestication from humans. Nowadays, we have dog breeds ranging from Pomeranians to Great Danes and beyond. They have an incredible sense of smell, approximately 10,000 to 100,000 times stronger than our own, and can even sniff out medical problems as well as our emotions. Even though they're all born deaf, they develop a keen sense of hearing that is about four times stronger than our own. Their intelligence is compared to that of a two-year-old child due to their ability to remember and respond to over a hundred words and gestures. I personally think they're much smarter than we give them credit for. Unfortunately, there's that word again, these animals are often abused and used for their puppies, hunting, fashion, food, fighting, racing, and service. Many of them spend years upon years in shelters waiting for a new family. The U.S. sees about 3.3 million dogs entering shelters every year, with about 390,000 being euthanized. Many are not euthanized because they're aggressive or ill, but because the shelter gives them a certain amount of days to be adopted before being put to death. This is certainly not the case for all shelters. Many are well-intentioned and have a no-kill policy. To obtain this label, the shelter must be able to home 90% or more of the rescued animals. They are permitted to euthanize animals that are severely ill and deemed as untreatable. I would like to add that, I mean, clearly from what I just said, so no kill does not mean that no animals are killed. Um, And there's also no, like, board looking over this. Like, obviously, shelters have their own, like, board and their own process and all of that. But um, there's no, like, organizational head that goes to the shelters and determines that, like, they are a no-kill shelter. You just kind of have to trust them at their own word. So um, it's really just based on, I guess, like, how reputable that shelter is. Um, Yeah, so just a little note there. The dog in the above image was one of the three that myself and several other activists rescued in Stockton, California. They were in a small concrete, fenced-in space with broken glass on the ground, virtually no shelter, and filthy water. They were sweet and approached us at the fence, which is when we noticed they were absolutely covered in ticks. We were able to convince their caretaker to surrender them to us, and we found them a shelter that could clean them up and house them until they were adopted. They all have new homes now. Often, like the case above, dogs are neglected by their human caretakers. Puppies are sometimes bought as presents and not realized to be the 8-20 to year commitment that they are. Dogs are viewed by many to be disposable, and when they're no longer desired, they simply put up an ad for them to find a new home, or in worst instances, just abandon them on the side of a road. 
Sometimes the people responding to these ads take in free dogs to use as bait in dog fights. Animals like rabbits and cats are used as well. Dogs trained to fight are often bred for the role and conditioned to be violent their entire life through abusive training methods. They will they will be taught to attack small dogs and other helpless animals as viciously as possible, then expected to show that vigor in the ring. Dog fights typically last one to two hours and end when one of the dogs is unable to continue because they are either severely injured or dead. Humans gather and bet on which dog will win the bloody sport. In the United States, dogfighting is a felony offense which is certainly discouraging for those who organize and participate in them, but not enough to actually stop them from happening. On another end of the dogs race to kill spectrum, many dogs are specifically kept for the purpose of serving a job, such as hunting. Many people use dogs to fetch birds that were just shot, sniff out pheasants, and to viciously tear up foxes, or to attack and immobilize boars. They are often kept alone in backyards or in kennels until it's time for them to work. As mentioned before, their hearing is significantly stronger than ours. Most dogs understandably freak out over fireworks, yet they are desensitized to not react to actual gunfire with no ear protection. And remember, their hearing is much stronger than our own. Many hunting dogs are underfed so that they perform better. And in some places, literally thousands of dogs are abandoned after hunting season comes to a close. A specific breed of dog, the Galgos, are typically killed after one or two hunting seasons, with an estimated 100,000 murdered annually. Reports in Spain even state that hunters have thrown their dogs into wells and even tied them to railroads. Others just leave them in the woods to defend for themselves, which is honestly the kinder option of those options. This is certainly not the reality for all dogs used for hunting, but the notion of using someone to be an accomplice to murder and submit to you is deranged in and of itself. Another horrific act that should be a crime is what occurs inside of laboratories to dogs. These animals actually used to be stolen and taken off of streets to be experiments in labs. Some probably still are. This is what sparked the creation of the American Anti-Vivisection Society, where much of this information in this section is sourced from. In 2018, the USDA reports that 65,000 dogs were being held in laboratories across the states. Most of the dogs in labs nowadays are bred into existence to serve that dystopian purpose. But when scientists aren't able to find their desired dog through breeder, they seize them from shelters and pounds. Beagles are the most common dog used in these laboratories due to their size and relatively tame nature. The primary use of these animals is for biomedical research that often revolves around cancer, heart and lung disease, as well as toxicity studies for drugs. These experiments are often painful, and their life in a lab is void from any loving connection or freedom. Greyhounds, who are able to reach speeds of 45 miles per hour and sustain it for miles, are often used in races that have similar costs to that of horse racing. They're typically combined in barren warehouse-style kennels for up to 20 hours a day. They are let out to train, relieve themselves, and to race. 
Injuries sustained in racing can be significant, and animals such as live bunnies are used as bait to encourage the animals to run around the track. The high injury rate in this blood sport creates a mentality in which the animals are disposable, since they're likely to die or get severely injured anyways. Due to this, around 3,000 to 8,000 greyhounds are killed in the U.S. alone because of racing. A veterinarian nurse in Australia recently blew the whistle on the industry there, stating in an interview that, You get eight dogs dropped off. Sometimes they will just be absolutely bled to death and euthanized, put in a body bag and put in the freezer and taken away for incineration. That's absolutely routine. No one would bat an eyelid at that being the reality. Another way dogs are raced is in a popular event you're likely familiar with, the Iditarod. Dogs are selectively bred for the sport and trained intensively. Those who don't meet the standards put forth are often killed or abandoned. According to one Iditarod racer, they breed an average of 300 dogs to get five usable ones. Several cases of severe neglect, such as starvation, untreated illness, and death, have been documented by those who own these animals. It's typical for a sled dog's home to be a tiny sleeping shelter, which they are attached to by a short chain. Their lives are often devoid of any true love or affection, and they are sometimes left alone, aside from receiving food and water, for months at a time. In 1991, Marley NG reported this in the Anchorage Daily News. Iditarod musher Frank Winkler was charged Friday with animal cruelty for bludgeoning 14 sled dog puppies with an axe handle, although he said in an interview earlier this month that he reluctantly shot them. After a neighbor reported hearing puppies whimpering in the night, an animal control officer visited Winkler's trailer September 7th and found the battered puppies piled in a crate in the back of his pickup. Two were barely alive and the rest were dead. One of the live pups was crying and was cold, clammy, wet, bloody, and showed clinical signs of shock. Assistant Attorney, Assistant District Attorney Mindy McQueen wrote in a charging document. The other was half buried in the pile of dead pups. Both live dogs had crushed souls and were later killed by animal control officers. The dog's well-being is not the priority for the people responsible for this abuse. It's profit. For these dogs, proper care only comes if they are rescued. Taking care of just one dog can be quite expensive, especially if they're sick. Now imagine what the cost would look like if you have a kennel of 200 dogs. 300? 500? These are actually how many dogs several of these mushers own. It's just not financially viable for those trying to profit off of these animals to keep them healthy and happy. It's much cheaper to just let a sick dog die. So that's what they do. In the negligent conditions they're in, it's quite easy to fall ill. They're often fed expired or rotting food, sometimes only being fed once a day, not given fresh water regularly, and not given proper protection from the elements. One dog handler in the business reported that dead dogs were sometimes skinned for their fur, then fed back to the other dogs. While their medical problems are often neglected, many do go through procedures that benefit humans, such as debarking them, making it so they can no longer bark and cutting their canines so they cannot attack their abusers. It is likely you're familiar with the term puppy mill. These operations are essentially factory farms for dog breeding and provide around 90% of the dogs found in pet stores. The animals here often spend their life in extreme confinement devoid of any love or proper care. 
While most people are against puppy mills due to the years of successful protest, I'd like to address the core issue of breeding in general. There are people who claim to be ethical backyard breeders, which essentially just means it's a family or small operation doing the deed. Let's consider one thing for a moment. Imagine being impregnated, often forcibly, carrying your young for several months and then giving birth. You spend the next several weeks bonding with your babies, and then slowly, one by one, they are taken from you until none remain. Then you are impregnated again, and the cycle continues over and over again until you're no longer usable. This is the reality of basically any breeder farm. While puppy mills are horrific, breeding operations in general are a violation of the female reproductive system and are exploitative in nature. In some countries around the world, mainly China, Vietnam, South Korea, and Indonesia, dog meat is consumed. There are dog farms that resemble puppy mills, and thousands of dogs are taken from the streets to be killed and eaten. Some are stolen from backyards or purchased from their owners. They are then crammed into tiny cages and trucked to the slaughterhouse where they where they will be beaten to death, hanged, or sometimes boiled alive. About 20 million dogs are slaughtered annually in China and 5 million in Vietnam. It's important to note that while dog meat consumption does occur, many people are against it. Just as a bacon festival in the U.S. draws in protesters, the Yulin Dog Meat Festival does the same. Activists in these nations are constantly working to free and protect these animals. Dogs do not exist to serve us. Cats. This is Luna being a good girl. This is my baby and I love her. She's not like literally my baby, but like I love her dearly. If you've ever met a cat, you're likely to know that most have clear boundaries and they will inform you if you cross them. I know that my kitty companion Luna, pictured above, will gladly let me know when I've pet her for too long. She's also very happy to let me know when the sun is about to rise with meows and when her food bowl is less than 100% full. Luna loves to go outside, climb trees, roll in the dirt, and then spend an hour cleaning herself. She adores cuddles and sitting at my feet in the bathroom. She also loves just hanging out. When I'm in the shower, she likes to wait for me on the shower mat, and when I come home, she greets me. I fully recognize her distinct personality and her individual wants, needs, and desires as a fully conscious being whom I'm happy to co-inhabit a home with. She is a little loaf of sunshine and darkness. Having her in my life is an absolute blessing, and I wish all cats were viewed in this manner. To be fair, all cats are not Luna, but they are all lovely in their own unique ways. Cats are known for their distinct personalities and emotional complexities. In fact, humans and cats share an identical region of the brain responsible for emotions. Cats spend about two-thirds of their everyday life sleeping. As someone who shares a home with a cat, I can attest to this. I often wonder what they do in the dream realm. When they're awake and active, they're incredibly agile. A healthy cat can run up to 31 miles per hour and jump five times their height. That's crazy. They often fall relatively gracefully and have even been recording surviving a fall of 65 feet. Cats are often considered to be beloved family members. They can be found in about 30% of all North American homes. In the U.S., they are the most common pet, with around 73 million of them living in the homes of humans. With that said, they still do undergo forms of abuse, including household neglect, abandonment, laboratory experiments, and breeding, to name a few. PETA's website states that, more than 19,000 cats are abused in U.S. laboratories every year. 
in addition to the tens of thousands who are killed and sold in school for cruel and crude classroom dissections. An undercover PETA investigator working within the University of Utah's laboratories discovered that a pound seizure law forced animal shelters to hand over hundreds of cats and dogs. These beings were used in painful experiments that often ended their lives. On PETA's website, they shared some of what was witnessed. One pregnant cat who had been purchased from a local animal shelter for $15 gave birth to eight kittens the very day that she arrived at the university. A chemical was injected into the kittens' brains and all the kittens died. In another experiment, a cat named Robert, who had also been bought from a local shelter, had a hole drilled into his skull and electrodes attached to his brain. Following PETA's vigorous campaign, the university announced that it would no longer obtain animals from shelters, effectively ending pound seizure in the state of Utah. At the University of Wisconsin-Madison, acts of literal terror are conducted. The horrific lengths that these experiments go to include, but are not limited to, drilling holes in cat skulls and implanting steel coils into their eyes, intentionally deafening and then killing them, blocking blood flow to their brain to force them into a stroke, and sewing their eyes shut. To read about the experiments more in depth, please visit PETA.org. The abuse of cats is nothing new and certainly doesn't end in the laboratory. Historically, cats have been demonized alongside witches. They are seen to be their companions, specifically black cats. And as the prejudice against witchcraft still runs thick, as does the ostracization of our feline friends. The practice of burning witches at the stake was expanded to their apparent familiars as well. In previous times, popes ordered the execution of any cats seen as a way to ward away the devil. Sometimes they were abused for the sake of music, having their hair ripped out so their howls could be added to songs. Nowadays, the most common form of cat abuse is found on the streets and in our homes. An estimated 82 million cats live on the streets of the United States, with around 3.4 million entering shelters every year. Around 74% of all cats who enter shelters are the Around 74% of all cats who enter shelters are euthanized for a variety of reasons, some of which simply include just not being desirable for humans. For feral cats, those who have not lived with humans, entering a shelter is a death sentence. Humans see animals who aren't comfortable around us as being burdensome and dangerous, so we kill them. Cat breeders only add to the problem, as people often flock to them for a new kitten instead of a shelter where one desperately needs a home. The leading cause of death for cats is humans. A more obscure practice includes killing cats for their flesh and fur. It's estimated that 10 million cats are killed annually across Asia for this purpose. Like dogs, they are often taken from the streets in people's homes, stuffed into tiny cages, with others of their kind, and then brutally slaughtered. I would like to state that while this is obviously horrific, it is not objectively more cruel than killing and eating a cow, chicken, pig, or rabbit. Cats deserve our respect. And that is where we are going to end things today. Um... Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Please 
adopt don't shop like truthfully animals are not property we have no business to be selling them or breeding them i think that's weird it's super weird actually um and if you want to welcome an animal friend into your family and check out your local shelter find an animal who desperately needs a home um because there's a lot of them there really is And one way that you can avoid supporting the animal testing industry is to look, look at the products you're buying. Um, Does your makeup say cruelty-free? The cruelty-free label means that it was not tested on animals. The cruelty-free label and the vegan label are different. The vegan label means that there are no animal products within it. So for example, um, a product could say cruelty-free, but then contain like casein and beeswax or something so um just be aware of that but if you're wanting to avoid supporting animal testing look for the cruelty-free labels um you know with medication medicine this is a little bit different there's some more like natural medicines you can get that are vegan um but you know in an unfortunate reality uh there's that word again is that the way that um testing for safety and for medicine is right now is that it is reliant on animals and that is something that isn't avoidable for um most of these people running these experiments even if they did want to avoid it just because of the legalities so there needs to be like a legal structural change put in place for that to actually shift um so you know if you're someone who takes medicine that you need to take to survive and that medicine was tested on animals Veganism is about doing the least amount of harm as is practical and possible. If you need to take your medicine to survive, then not taking it is obviously not practical or possible for you. So it really is a um, scale of what is an available option for you to do to cause the least amount of harm and um, promote the most amount of peace and joy and love in your life. So um, just, you know, with all that considered, just be aware, maybe start looking at labels, start researching companies, seeing their practices, um, you know, just really expand your awareness in your life of the things you're consuming and buying and the companies that you're choosing to support because ultimately we all have purchasing power. We all have the power of our mind. We all have the power of our voice. And so we can communicate what we learn to others. We can choose to not give companies that we don't feel in alignment with our money or time or energy um you know really just do your best i believe in you and i love you and thank you so much for listening and i hope you have a really good day bye